Hello and welcome to Touching the Past, where the past touches you. My name is the Curator, and this is my little fiefdom, if you will, where I gather together all the histories that you'll never hear about from those idiots at universities. Bastards! Today we begin with the history of the television. I hope you enjoy it. Telly. It's everywhere, isn't it? The goggle box, the electronical teat, the phosphorescent mind liquor. Whatever we call it, we all love it. What would we do without telly? We'd have to talk to people for starters, and I'm not doing that again. <laughs> not after last time. But for as much as telly is probably the single most important part of the average person's life, what do we really know about the history of our audiovisual best beloved? As you'll know if you've passed the government-mandated tele-studies level 1 exam, which, as I don't think they allow podcasts in the internment camps, you will have, the first method of tele was the Baird Electromechanical System. Originally born John I Am A Cartoon Animal, Baird felt himself held back throughout his youth by his ridiculous surname, hyphenated names being thought of as a somewhat wanky anachronism at the time, a burden which, incidentally, was to cause his mother to finally crack and kill his father with a pillow when they were both in their late 90s, his father, of course, being allergic to feathers and foam rubber. After years of tinkering, in 1924, the freshly nomenclated Baird finally demonstrated his new invention. Punters were instantly captivated by the exciting spinning disc and the natty telly hat, which was required to be worn at all times when the set was switched on for safety. To sweeten the deal further, anyone buying a Baird televisorator would get freely delivered to their door a weekly copy of What is Appearing on the Televisorator This Week, a weekly listings magazine which went into minute detail about all eight programmes which were to be broadcast over the coming week, even going so far as to include snippets of dialogue and a sketch of each of the characters. So marvellous was it, that he was lauded throughout the world, with many religious groups proclaiming him the Messiah. He also received a deluge of marriage proposals from grateful televiewers, including one from the then Prime Minister Ramsay MacDonald, a rash move which caused him to be kicked out of number 10 after less than a year in office. But his success wasn't to last. A disgruntled ex-employee revealed to a shocked world that telly was all a ruse. There were no broadcast programmes, Everything the viewer saw was down to the hypnotic effect of the spinning disc and the electric shocks delivered to the brain by the telehat, causing the viewer to vividly hallucinate whatever they'd been primed to expect by the teleguide. As punishment for his deceit, Baird had his tongue stretched out and nailed to his face. <laughs> Live on telly! <laughs> the first modern telly was accidentally invented by Disney as a way of testing his crackpot ideas about head preservation. Disney employees who were suspected of being communist sympathisers could choose between being sent to prison or volunteering for the exciting new home entertainment system that was being developed. Lucky volunteers had their heads gently removed and put into glamorous wood-panelled, glass-fronted preservation tanks. To save themselves from an enormous lecky bill, the company sneaked these tanks into unwitting people's homes by telling them they'd inherited them from an elderly relative. And that's why, at first, all teleprograms were the news, read by a man in tight close-up, screaming. 
Eventually, to the bewilderment of everyone who owned one, all the Disney tellies stopped working. Looking through the complaint forms still on file at the company's head office, the most common complaint appears to have been, Telly will not show the news. All programmes now consist of a grinning, leathery skull staring directly into my very soul. Clearly a replacement was desperately needed, as, by this point, no one could imagine a life without telly anymore. And indeed, as necessity is the mother of invention, homes were soon being kitted out with the very latest in telly technology. Massive, heavy wooden cabinets with tiny little distorting screens. But once again, the viewing public was unwittingly having the electric wall pulled over its eyes. These tellies were actually just telescopes viewing back down a long tube to the studio. No one questioned why the telly had to face a very particular way, or the shiny glass telly wire coming straight out of the wall of their house, or why, when they went to their friend's house on the other side of town, all the usual programmes showed the backs of everyone's heads. Working in telly in those days wasn't the glamorous job that we imagine it to be these days. To make up for the loss of light down the tubes, the studios had to be hugely overlit, often causing long-term skin damage. In fact, it was on a visit to the BBC in the early 40s that the young Dennis Potter first got the idea that, 40 years later, became the singing detective. I'm sure you've all often wondered, why weren't telescreens flat earlier? Unfortunately, this was just down to snobbery. Telemaking wasn't a prestigious craft like furniture making, doorknob buffing or sheep sculpting. And so, back in those days, the only people who did it were those ham-fisted dickwits who were either too clumsy or too stupid to get a proper job. Which is why, for hundreds of years, we had perfectly flat dining room tables but curved television screens. This, of course, resulted in terrible distortion, so teleproducers would trawl the local hospitals, paying corrupt porters to turn a blind eye while they kidnapped unfortunate microcephalics, sewed them into evening dress and forced them at knife point to present light entertainment, their tiny, tiny heads exactly countering the distorting effect of the shoddily made vacuum tubes. But their careers were short-lived. After years of battling through their natural incompetence, telemakers gradually developed some meagre level of ability, and telescreens got flatter and less warpy. This, of course, meant that the old screen stars became unrecognisable to the viewers and, one by one, were quietly flushed down the drain by the telecompanies. The one exception to this was a young Bruce Forsyth, who took the bold step of having plastic surgery to keep himself looking like the distorted image that the public had grown to tolerate. By and large, the state of the art of telly has remained stationary for the past couple of decades. That all changed, though, with the advent of 3D. But what, I hear you say, does 3D stand for? <laughs> it's obvious, really. It stands for triple dick. The exact degree of cockishness you need to possess to think that spending your hard-earned cash on a shitty gimmick is anything other than a stupid, stupid idea. And that is literally everything you'll ever need to know about telly.